Hello, hello, hello. Okay, this podcast is um, in conjunction with my most recent YouTube video released on the 29th of October um, about being in Guitarist magazine. My, it's, it's just a teenage dream of mine. And um, although uh, we did a video and a photo shoot and interview about my new EP, the Lone Wolf EP, which is coming out very, very shortly, um, I also got to speak to Jamie Dixon, the editor, and um, really ask him a few questions about what it takes to become the editor of Guitarist magazine, such a legendary publication in the UK, um, and just iconic to me. I grew up reading it, and um, I speak a little bit more about that in the video and what it means to me and, uh, and why it's so special. But yes, so you will enjoy the conversation between the two of us. It was really enlightening. But then I also do mention in the video a bit of housekeeping. But firstly, obviously, check out the behind the scenes video. It is on my YouTube channel. Um, Lone Wolf, the Lone Wolf EP is available to pre-order now from my website, maryspender.com. So the physical copies are going to be available from the get-go and um, they'll be shipping very shortly. There are more details on my website. But online and on streaming services, I am going to be releasing uh, a new single every other week. So every two weeks, a new single will be dropping. And uh, that begins with Wait For Me uh, out this Friday on the 1st of November. So check that out. I'm so, so excited. Um, it's got incredible artists playing on it, all names in their own right. And um, finally, obviously, uh, Tuesday Talk t-shirts um, have been available for quite some time and I am going to dis discontinue this uh, logo and um, just make room for new designs and uh, maybe refresh uh, that whole idea, which might be a bit controversial, but who knows? Who knows? I think it will be enjoyed by most. Um, if you are a supporter on Patreon, firstly, thank you very much. Secondly, you have a discount, so make sure you apply that to all of this. Um, and if you are on Patreon, then you will also get the free downloads, the high res downloads too. So if you aren't on Patreon, maybe you might want to check that out. But otherwise, let's get into the show and uh, hear from Jamie Dixon, the editor of Guitarist Magazine. Hi, my name is Mary Spender and you are listening to Tuesday, 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 Tuesday Talks. How do you even come about to being editor of Guitarist? Um, well, so the, it started by being a reader of Guitarist. So um, as I was saying earlier on, when I had my first job, which was at a gardening centre, I got my first pay packet, which was the princely sum of £75 for a month's work. And I went into town in Lowestoft, where I grew up, and I was either going to buy a Walkman or a guitar. And I kind of looked at the Walkmans in the shop and thought, hmm. And then I went to Morlings, which is our local guitar store, and I walked upstairs where they have all of the um, guitars, and I'd never been in there. And I walked around and um, fell in love, really, because they had the rows of Fender Twins with the red knobs, which had just come out around that time. And they had a Eric Clapton Strat in pewter. All of this is really still engraved and very fresh in my memory. Mm. And I ended up buying a £75, it was more or less what I had, um, Honor acoustic guitar. Um, you know, not a very distinguished guitar, but, you know, it's the guitar we all start on. And the next thing I bought was a copy of 
guitarist magazine, which I think Neville Martin was editor of um, back then. And I read it and I obsessed over the guitars in there. And there's nothing will be as exciting as your first kind of flush of enthusiasm for being into guitars because you don't know what anything is, but you know that you love them. And you look, I remember looking at this picture of a SG Custom with a three pickups in white and thinking it was the most beautiful thing ever and not knowing anything about it. And it's like you've discovered this whole planet of things that you love. And Guitarist was the route into all of that. And it, it helped me understand it. And it, and I got to feel like the people who were writing it were friends. And the irony is, or maybe the, the nice thing is, is that these days they are friends, they're colleagues I work with. So it's a really strange destination. Um, so I was a fan of the magazine for years. I worked in newspapers. I worked at the Daily Telegraph on there. Um, on their website actually and wrote for reference books and things like that and eventually I ended up doing a reference book on guitars with Jason Sidwell who's senior music editor at Guitar Techniques and that coincided with my uh, wife and I moving to Bristol I started doing freelance for Total Guitar and for Guitarist a bit I think and then a job came up and it was for features editor at Guitarist and um, Mick Taylor, who of that pedal show fame, was editor at that time. Mm -hmm. He interviewed me and uh, set me some some quite tricky tasks and I was very happy when he said, yeah, you got the job. So I was I became features editor, which is, which is the best job in journalism, by the way, because you just get to do the bits of interviewing artists and going out and doing cool assignments without any of the, um, you know, the, the the burden on your shoulder of being in charge of the whole thing, which is, yeah. you know, it's I love being editor of Guitarist, but I think when the, the buck stops with you, then it's it's also an extra kind of um, responsibility. Mm -hmm. So that that's a really fun job to do. And Mick was a great guy to work for. And when eventually he decided he wanted to go off and do all the amazing things he's doing now with that pedal show, he was kind enough to... Um, you know give me a give me the nod for being editor so and that's that's how I ended up doing it what's been the biggest change then do you just is it managing more people and all that sort of stuff and like that weight on your shoulders is it easy to deal with well I think it is as long as you as long as you put it all into perspective and you um you Firstly, getting stuff right is a great way to not be stressed. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> we were really, talking about this earlier. Yeah. yeah. So if you if you're putting out a good product and you and you know it's as good as you can make make mm -hmm. it and you've got the the best people working for you, that's that's the main thing actually is having really talented people mm. who are really engaged with making a um, guitarist really good and they know where the quality standard is. I think it becomes very difficult if you've got people on the team who. Um, don't care or they um they they do care but they can't they can't quite cut it or whatever fortunately that doesn't really hasn't really come up much but sometimes um you know you what we have now in the team is is a really good bunch of people and so mm -hmm. that's essential um good planning is essential um and beyond that is knowing how much to care about stuff and knowing when stressing is actually detrimental to what you're trying to do because you've got to stay functional. Yeah. And at the end of the day, no one's going to die um, if, if there was a mistake. Mm -hmm. you know? um, it's not like being a brain surgeon or something. So what you want to do is to have in your heart a real 
love of the magazine you care about the readers because you know they're the most important people in the whole process because that's why you've got a job yeah and if they're writing in and telling you they love the magazine and they really like something you do then you've you've done it right and i think you've got to um keep that in your mind funnily enough mick said something to me um Emic Taylor said something to me which is very useful advice for anybody in a slightly stressful role which was he'd been talking to a downhill cyclist a mountain biker and the mountain biker had said um, keep your eye on the path not on the trees by which he meant if you keep looking at what you could crash into you'll probably end up crashing into it oh yeah <laughs> so, <laughs> that's such killer advice <laughs> yeah it's, it's, it's really good and it, it comes to mind a lot when things get a bit stressful or you're not quite sure if you're doing the right thing, you you can refer to your gut and you can refer to what guitarist has always been. And I'm very lucky that we've still got Neville Martin sitting across the desk. So if I ever need a second opinion about, is this the right thing to do for guitarists? You know, Nev can provide it. You know, yeah. David Mead can provide it. He's worked for guitarists for many years. So so those are all the things that, that kind of help and the rest of it is it's a job it's like any job it has its difficulties and it has its triumphs you know yeah it's triumphs it's worries everything it's it's i can take so much advice from that just in terms of what i'm trying to do and we've been talking about it all day um but the best thing i think about it being about guitars and obviously being called guitarist is that guitar fans i mean you all start off as a guitar fan and you kind of all start off not knowing anything and it's just reminding yourself, especially when you're talking about your audience and how much you appreciate them and how special it is to receive um, a letter, an email from someone saying how much they love it. It's because like everyone starts from zero with it. No one's born knowing all this knowledge. And there's just so much that you can learn and so much being produced. And even just hearing about your first guitar story, everyone has that story. Mm -hmm. And it's the most humbling, lovely thing and it's why I'm so excited to even just be part of Guitarist because I remember reading Guitarist and I remember, as I said, um, destroying my Guitarist magazines and cutting them out. And it's just such a special, uh, I should probably finish that story, otherwise people are gonna be horrified that I was just cutting out the images to stick on my like school diary when I was a teenager. Everyone else was uh, cutting up Miz or some other kind of other maybe pop music magazine and I was there with, with Guitarist, but it's just, it's such a nice environment. And when you do remember that no one dies, and my mother works in palliative care. So like I mm. learned that, <laughs> you know, being in a family with someone who works in palliative care where people do die and realizing how lovely this is that we get to share it with people, mm -hmm. that must be quite fruitful as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's nice to, um, when, you, when you can spot people who are, um, really amazing talents on the guitar. It's nice when you can introduce them to readers. It's exciting to interview people who are, you know, definitely qualify for that overused word legend. Like for example, mm -hmm. I got to interview BB King and that's that's like, you feel like you're kind of touching history a bit. And that's that's a really cool thing to say that you, you do. And even cooler to share it with readers of the magazine because they care about that um, a huge amount as well. So the the key point is that you have to remain passionate about it. And if you're feeling like you might be jaded or you're getting tired or something's pissed you off, you have to go out and find the assignment or the feature that really makes you excited and, and about guitar and 
and that way, if you feel excited about it, then the people who are reading about it uh, are going to feel that way, chances are. Yeah, and so many people are willing to be a bit too cool sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I, I like it when I see someone who is genuinely excited about something. It really translates, and it's only the thing that I ever hope that I'm showing. Like, even if I don't know anything about whatever I'm learning about, as long as you're excited about learning about it and you're willing to sort of like translate that to an audience. That's so, so important. Um, as you mentioned, B.B. King, tell me about B.B. King. Um, well, it was a funny one, really, because he was playing at the Albert Hall. Um, and it was his birthday mm-hmm. concert, and he had all of these kind of celeb players coming down to to help him celebrate. So Slash was there and Ronnie Wood was there. And um, it got set up via... Um, uh, a chap who'd had a lot of dealings with making films, um, a chap called, uh, I think it's John Brewer, and um, apologies, John, if, um, if I've misremembered that, but um, he was making a lot of documentaries about blues guys and he was well-connected and he offered us a chance to do a um, a, a short interview with BB, and it was quite a lot to arrange and we did a big um, birthday celebration, um, bookazine kind of thing around it as well. So... We got down to the Albert Hall and had a 10-minute slot with him, which is not a lot to Mm-mm. go on. So you're kind of going, oof, that's not a lot of runway um, if if, we, if things don't get off to a good start. And we had a little bit of a briefing chat. And, you know, by that time, BB was 86 years old, um, still in fine voice, but, you know, he's an 86-year-old man. And so they, they had to kind of limit his time in interviews to something that is manageable. So they said, okay, so what that does as a journalist is it means you have to try as hard as you can to cut to the chase, if you know what I mean, without being rude or, or kind of, you know, inappropriately pushy or anything like that. You still know you have to get, hopefully, some new insights into BB's musical world if you can. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, you know, it's a it's an immense privilege to have that time anyway. So go in and see what you can get. And... The interview took place um, in his dressing room and we were ushered in and he was genial, um, gentlemanly presence who told me some, actually told me some really lovely stories. Mm. Um, one was about how he used to listen to Bob Wills and the Texas Playboys, a sort of Western swing band, and Leon McAuliffe's um, uh, lap steel guitar was one of the reasons, one of the things he based his vibrato on that and the sort of Hawaiian kind of um, guitarists who used the, it had a similar kind of style. So so what was interesting was I hadn't realised that, you know, radio at that time, he obviously as a, as a huge lover of music, BB was soaking up all of the influences as he could. Um, uh, you know, and given that he was, he was working, um, you know, on a picking cotton and, you know, He's, his mother had died when he was quite young. He was living in quite difficult circumstances. That, that be- this music was like this ray of sunshine, this ray of beauty in his life that he really pursued. And the fact that, by the, you know, seven decades later, he was there in this concert hall, the Albert Hall, with thousands upon thousands of people who were there to show love for BB's music. I mean, it's this incredible story, and you hear him tell it. it it's wonderful, and you wish you could have had... Um, could have had all night to chat to him but little things like that I mean basically a lot of his story has already been told so it's quite hard to find new angles on it but you know tremendously rewarding to to hear details like that 
and um, you know it, 10 minutes the nice thing is if someone's got a lot to say which undoubtedly he did 10 minutes on the page is actually quite a few pages it's like 10 pages of interview and mm-hmm. it's he was telling us about um, his first contact with guitar his um, cousin Booker White who's a very noted blues man in his own right um, and how he had also inspired BB's style as well all of these early influences so I kind of we had my 10 minutes and was kind of like you know a little bit slightly shaking because mm-hmm. uh, it was so exciting and then the only other thing that struck me about the whole experience was I was so kind of on cloud nine about having interviewed BB King I was carrying a light for our photographer who was shooting around me whilst I was doing the interview and I walked out into the corridor and nearly brain slashed with it who was just <laughs> going around the corner <laughs> yeah. and, and literally nearly lamped him with it and <clears> um <throat> and uh, fortunately uh, he swerved but um yeah it was it was an interesting night. Have you had, uh, with that sort of limited time, you must get that quite a lot when you know they are doing a sound check or they're uh, preparing for something, and or they've got a million journalists or whatever. Do you have any ways to do? You, how do you prepare for that? Because only because I speak from experience of being caught off guard mm-hmm. when I've only had three minutes with someone, just trying to learn how to disarm them, and get what you need is it's um basically impossible it's it's quite tricky but sometimes there's various approaches like one thing i learned not to do quite early on is asking two closed questions that elicit only a yes and no answer Mm -hmm. so this is especially ironically this happens a lot with people who you're a massive fan of because you know a lot about them and yes, it's good to know a lot about who you're interviewing, but sometimes you can be, oh, did you use that diameter pick uh, and that gauge strings and, and whatever on that track? And they'll go, yes, I did, uh, and or no. Which is even worse. Yeah, and yeah. you've closed the question. You've made it <laughs> yeah. so specific. They, they, if, unless there's someone who naturally understands that a journalist wants you to elaborate on it, they might just go, yeah, that's about right. Yeah, you've got it. Well done. And um, what you really want to do is sometimes ask a really open question like, what kind of guitar picks do you like to use or you know the big dumb big open questions and and Mm -hmm. sometimes they can get a better answer in a short amount of time than if you'd flashed all of your knowledge about them um i'm going to contradict myself now and say another way to do it is to really research before you go to interview them and try and find an angle you feel has been underexploited so we had this with um nick mason of pink floyd um who was at abbey road and of course he's a drummer not a guitarist, but um, the the PR company that um, represents Pink Floyd had said, look, we're doing this thing at Abbey Road with Nick Mason. It's about um, Obscured by Clouds, which is the record they made um, shortly before um, Dark Side of the Moon. Mm-hmm. Do you want to come down and interview him? It, it, we're doing like a DVD. We're filming it. We're getting various journos down that we like to work with just to put questions to him. This will be an extra on the DVD and you can you can have that interview as well and use it where you will so we went down and I thought well what can I ask him that he won't have been asked before so you try your best to find a new angle and one of the angles I um, asked about was that Obscured by Clouds was um, a kind of film soundtrack and I thought it was interesting because there's certain filmic elements of Dark Side of the Moon and I Mm -hmm. I asked him was, was there anything from that project that you took and then used in Dark Side of the Moon that made Dark Side of the Moon quite such a massive album as it was. And he said, yeah, he said some of the crossfades we were doing between tracks, these sort of interludes. And um, 
you know, and and that was he'd said to the PR guy afterwards. He said, "Oh, no one's asked me about that before." And and that's like a little. I think as a journalist, you know, not yay me, but it's a nice little feather in your cap that you, can, if you can think of that, and they recognise it, they're sometimes a bit more interested in talking about it because it's not the same old, same old. So, you know, that doesn't happen every time. I've made plenty of screw ups in that <laughs> regard. So, um, I would never claim I was brilliant at it, but if you can, sometimes it's best to be, yeah big and open with your questions and other times it's best to find that chink in the armour especially with artists who are a bit um, jaded and tired of talking to the press yeah but I think you have a natural advantage if you're a guitar journalist talking to a guitarist because people have been quizzing you all about your relationships and your drug addiction all day and then somebody comes along and says do you like those pools then and you know they can have a slightly more human ordinary guitar fan conversation with you that's very true I think the thing I'm trying to learn is and obviously through something like podcasting is if we were having a conversation there probably wouldn't be a brutal stop to it but having interviewed someone when I've tried to be a bit too clever which basically means that I'm not being clever at all um and you get the nose or you get the yeah that's what I used you're like oh, okay how do I do it and I find it very difficult to interview more than one person mm-hmm. That's that's the, the challenge which I don't like, and even hearing um, some of my favourite like interviewers uh, in terms of podcasts, the reason they're successful is because they're just doing one on one and mm-hmm. a one on one conversation, and you can get the most out of them. But then learning how to disarm someone by mm-hmm. knowing everything, so it's sort of the: do you decide to not know anything mm-hmm. and pretend like you are just you know reading about them for the first time and ask them those questions? Maybe they're stupid questions, but really they're not because that yeah. person also if their ego is right they don't assume that you know everything yeah yeah I, one, one thing which is a good thing to do i mean somebody sometimes it just comes down to basic human courtesy like if they're a, an established artist really well known but they've got a new record out ask them about the new record yeah not, not their not the, the hits what they did 30 years ago mm-hmm. or if you do want to ask them about those because you can't leave the room without having got a bit of a take take on that mega album they did you know, ask them last, you know, it sounds a bit cynical, but you know, if they're going to shut down because you had to ask them about something they're fed up with asking about you, if you leave it till last, then at least you've had a chance to build up some rapport. You've shown that you have, you know, genuine interest in their, their new work. And that's often the, uh, to be honest, if there was one tip, that's often the best way. And it's like, that's what they do. That's what they care about. They're not focused on the past. You know, if you show a genuine interest in the work they've just done and have listened to the streams that were sent to you, then that often unlocks goodwill um, for mm-hmm. all the obvious reasons because they don't want to be thought of as a walking antique or a relic of the past, you know. And that's so true. And like if you associate it with yourself, you're like, well, how do I even remember what I did even five right. years ago? Right, precisely. Even five minutes ago? It might have been reported on, but they're not reading yeah. what's been written about them. Um, so that's great advice like I'm literally just using this all selfishly <laughs> because it's so hard and it's why I know I'm not ready to interview some of the people that I want to interview like I'm still pushing for the interviews but I'm I know I'm not ready because I'm not past the fangirl part of it um hopefully if I was given the opportunity to interview Mark Knopfler one day and his team keep turning me down um I hope that I'd be able to you know, take that advice and like ask him about whatever he's done most recently, as opposed to being like, so just tell me like, like, so when you're, you know, writing Sultans of Swing, like what was going through your head? Like, I want to know that, but he doesn't probably even remember. Yeah. 
Um, and the same with the, you know, the idea of one day interviewing John Mayer or something. I'm too much of a fangirl. I know too much. And I'm not his peer. I'm not, I'm not on the same level. Not that I ever will be. Same with Martin Offler. I'll never be at that level. But even just being an artist in my own right is probably the only way that I can ever even remotely have a normal conversation. Whereas obviously you being editor of Guitarist, like it's probably likely that they've read Guitarist or they've had some experience and that kind of puts you on their level. And that sort of level of experience is so important and, and it's what makes Guitarist so valuable. Well, well, thank you. I mean, one thing I should say, one thing we've all said, all of our, the ed people who've been editor of Guitarist or worked on the team is that the mag is bigger than any one individual. Yeah. And, you know, and in case you ever feel in any danger of thinking, you know, ain't either cheese, um, it's not. It's it's actually the thing to bear in mind is, is what it's always stood for for the readers and mm -hmm. you try your best to kind of deliver that. And, you know, when your time's done as editor, then you move on and you know the right person takes over they'll take the same attitude and want to maintain it you know yeah it's a position you hold and you get all those sorts of you get the legacy when you hold that position but then you have to yeah leave it yeah oh. um so um i mean i guess one of the most tricky just to circle back to what you're saying about like cover features and big big names some the trickiest thing actually to manage can be um time so often mm -hmm. they've not got a lot of time so you get 30 minutes for a cover feature you know and then a bit of photography and actually when we did mark not for for the um for a cover feature about four or five years back um due to the constraints of time obviously when they've got an album out they've got a lot of press to do mm -hmm. i think we had we had a good amount of time talking to him about 35 40 minutes and then the photography itself they they'd sort of said well you can have five minutes and we were like woof that's that's tight because you've got to get that cover shot mm -hmm. and there's so many shots which are almost that cover shot but not quite and you'll see them as the photographer's shooting and you look at their kind of the gallery on the on the screen and you can see that that one's almost it oh no he's got his eyes shut there oh he's looking away and they're in amongst them there's the golden kind of shot that you know is is the one mm -hmm. and so the more that they close down the amount of time that you have to shoot it the, the less your chances of getting that shot are and um, fortunately, we had a very good photographer called Joby Sessions um, there on the day, and we did get the shots we wanted. But but the same can occur in um, interviews if you've got five minutes or ten minutes. You've always got to have almost like a little in, internal monologue quietly telling you you've got ten minutes left. If you haven't got you what you need to make this cover feature, you have to kind of go in, go for the jugular, you know, whether mm -hmm. it feels a bit jarring or not. If you absolutely need them to tell you, some piece of information that they, that makes the whole cover feature, then you have to ask them. And they can say no, or they say, I don't want to talk about that. But the the trick is not to let time elapse because you're really enjoying chatting to Mark Knopfler yeah. without having hit your kind of goals. Because one thing I have noticed about inter interviewing people, like often famous people have a lot of charisma. Like Billy Gibbons is a really interesting case in point. I've interviewed him a few times and sometimes you think, oh, it's amazing. I've been talking to Billy Gibbons and he's got this great Texas drawl. And you get the you got the transcript back. You realise you hadn't asked him as much as you should have done. It's not Billy Gibbons' fault. It's just that you were thinking you were getting gold. But it's actually mm. just listening to Billy Gibbons sounds amazing when he's talking about the shopping list, you know. So you have to kind of have that cold, objective voice in your mind saying, have you got what you need? Have you at least asked what readers would like to know about? 
have you hit all of the points and that's that's that is a kind of a trick well there's also that moment that you might have been listening to someone speak but you weren't really listening yeah you're going aren't they amazing well yeah. or, or their name is like revolving in your head so mm -hmm. at nam this year i had three minutes with santana mm -hmm. that was it they were, were not going to give me any more they weren't going to give me a second over and i was i was pretty like ballsy asking for the interview even though he was basically walking out of a room anyway so mm -hmm. to get that three minutes was really lucky but I didn't I don't think I listened to anything he said I was just going that's Carlos Santana Santana that's Santana that's Santana in my head and yeah. you can see it in the video and the video was not Santana did a great job he was there being charismatic and lovely but I did a terrible job as an interviewer because I was just I was I let it I let myself run away with it and so I wasn't really listening to anything that he was saying. And so I wasn't able to like sort of lead on to the next question. And yeah, so that's just me telling my faults. And like, <laughs> this is why it's so amazing to talk to you when you have interviewed these incredible people um, and the skill set that comes from that. Well, what I would add to that is, um, first, you don't run away with the idea that, that that we never do it as well. Because, and I think, <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, I'm glad you're admitting that. <laughs> it, it, it does happen. You have to wake yourself up and give yourself a sort of metaphorical slap around the face as mm -hmm. you notice it's happening. The second thing is, is actually one of the most valuable, powerful ways to get a great interview is to just shut up because people will usually fill a fill a gap, especially if they're performers. Performers like to, generally speaking, project themselves. Yeah, uh -huh. So the I've this is something to guard against is that the more you're into something, you might want to interject, but you're probably just interrupting them telling you something really interesting. So it's better to shut up until they've run out of words, unless you're really time pressured. The other tricky thing, which is, um, I'm sure she wouldn't mind me saying this, was when we interviewed, um, I interviewed um, uh, Annie Clark, aka St. Vincent, and she was wonderful. She's such an intelligent um artist who's really thought through her kind of aesthetic and what she's doing and definitely someone who was great to interview but um because she was so considered she left quite big gaps sometimes between her words because she was having a think about it which is entirely reasonable but it was a phone interview and you think has this person stopped talking or mm -hmm. should i butt in at this point and even in that situation i think it's generally best to just to just to wait and listen a little bit longer because they might be just about to say something the most interesting thing that they were going to say in the whole interview um and i'm pretty sure i've i've kind of interrupted people just as they were doing that and i try to not to do it these days well it's kind of especially on the telephone it when you don't have eye contact with someone even on Skype, it's quite difficult because if it's not, if there's some delay of some kind or, or internet problems, um, leaving that space is incredibly nerve wracking because you just don't want there to be any silence whatsoever. But really, even if they, even if they have finished their sentence and they finished their point, if you leave enough space, they might start start up again. Yeah. But I've I've realised that too. I have realised that people if you're interviewing them and you're turning on a camera, they do want to come across well, mm -hmm. like the majority of them do. And if they don't, then, I mean, that will serve for an interesting video interview anyway of them, <laughs> of them being yeah, a quite. bit unpleasant. So like yeah. either way you kind of win. Um, but that's such valuable advice. Um, so how this interview came about was because you very kindly invited me to 
come and be part of Guitarist. Um, so can you tell the listeners what we've been doing today? So today um, we've been um, photographing um, Mary and doing a video um, with her in which she very kindly performed two lovely songs and also explained um, how she makes music, her approach to songwriting, um, about some of the gear that she uses and about some of the work that she's doing at the moment. And it was a really nice day. And uh, thank you very much for coming down and joining us. Well, honestly, thank you for having me. Um, I think the when you when we were sort of talking about the planning of the day and everything, I'm so glad that I came here and kind of gave us the space as well. And just just what you're talking about now, like having the luxury of taking the time, you know, being photographed is so unusual for me. And But getting that done and out the way and then being able to come up here and have the interview and already having chatted to you for like what felt like hours just added such a level of comfort so I hope it I hope you got what you needed <laughs> absolutely well thank you very much and uh, it's nice to return the favor in, in, a, in a in small measure with um, a chat for the podcast and uh, a real pleasure to talk to you right. thank you very much <laughs>